From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to HPS Insights, a regular podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host, Michael Steele, partner at HPS. Today, I'm joined by Stuart McLaurin, president of the White House Historical Association. Since 2014, Stuart has led the Historical Association's nonprofit and nonpartisan mission to support conservation and preservation at the White House with non-government funding. Stuart, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Michael. It's terrific to be with you. So earlier this year, you published a book, James Hoban, Designer and Builder of the White House. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and and why you decided to write it? Well, this is a book that is about uh, the designer, the builder, the architect, if you will, of the White House, who was an Irish American hired by George Washington to build what we now call the White House today. And there's nothing more fundamental or certainly nothing more original to the history of the White House than its initial building. And we had never published on this story specifically, even though we've been publishing books since We were given that mandate by Mrs. Kennedy in 1962. And so we thought this was an important story to tell. Uh, This happens to be the 60th year of the association. And we thought it would be a nice uh, book to release uh, during this historic year. Well, it's a a wonderful story. It's also a beautiful book. It's got just wonderful illustrations. It's it's a great coffee table book. It's a great read. It'll be, you know, they keep telling us with the supply chain issues, we should do our Christmas shopping early. If anyone is looking for an early uh, Christmas gift, this is a terrific choice. The the White House is iconic around the world, but, but Hoban himself isn't really well known, even among Americans. Why do you think he's been somewhat overlooked in the, in American history? Well, that's exactly right, Michael. It's amazing that a man who's known uh, so little uh, here in our country and abroad, but yet whose life's work is known universally in our country and around the world by the three simple words, the White House. He came here as a poor Irish uh, man. He had been uh, subjected to uh, the penal laws in Ireland, which prevented uh, Roman Catholics from advancing to the higher levels of their fields. And uh, he was Roman Catholic. So he left there in what I like to believe is uh, one of the earliest pursuits of the American dream, realizing that he could better his fortunes and his career here in this country. So he came to America and settled in Charleston, South Carolina, which is where he initially met George Washington in 1791. And Washington did select him to be the architect of the of the initial White House. But here's a man whose name uh, is known by those in the field or those very close to White House history. But we think he's much deserving uh, to be better known. He was not a perfect man. He had uh, controversies and challenges. He was a slaveholder, uh, for example, which is certainly nothing to be proud of. But um, we believe that his the whole of his life's work and the work that he did to build this house is certainly significant and important to be remembered. What do you want all Americans to know about Hoban himself, in addition to that, the, the story of his travels here and, and his origins, and also just the beginning of the White House more broadly? Well, as I'm sitting in my office today talking with you on this podcast, I'm looking out my window at Lafayette Park, just north of the White House. It's on this plot of land that Hoban pulled together a team of workers, which was really an incredibly diverse group. There were enslaved people who were owned by uh, owners in the region and hired out to Hoban for this project. There were free workers. There were artisans from Europe, specifically the Scottish stonemasons. Seven came over to carve 
the intricate designs around the White House, which are still in evidence today. And so it's remarkable that there was this community that was very diverse and yet worked harmoniously together. Uh, well, the Scots and the Irish didn't always get along, but uh, <laughs> other than that, the, they worked harmoniously together. They brought stone from 30 miles down the Potomac River in a quarry that you can still see today, the Aquia, Virginia quarry. And uh, they had to row or pole these stones on rafts upstream, offload them uh, here on the shores of the Potomac, and then bring them over to what is now Lafayette Park and, and began the labor of carving and moving and building the White House, which took eight years. So I think it's an incredibly compelling story, a story of uh, the early engagement of American diversity in a common project, the tragic story of the those owned slaves who were engaged. It was in um, very compelling, I recall, in the May of 2016 at the uh, at a commencement speech in New York, First Lady Michelle Obama said, I wake up every morning in a house that was built by slaves. And we were inundated, Michael, with people wanting to know more about that story. And so we've undertaken over five years of research on not just those who helped build the White House itself, but those who were enslaved to our early American presidents. I believe it's nine of our earliest presidents either owned slaves and had them working for them in the White House or who hired slave labor, may not have owned them themselves, but hired slave labor to work in the White House, which is a story that we're telling uh, through our the research of our historians. And that's all available on our website, whitehousehistory.org. Such an important story and such an important resource. That's, that's great to hear. So the, the book includes an illustrated catalog of Hoban's work. Which of his works, aside from the White House itself, is your favorite and, and why? Well, I don't know that it would be called my favorite, but I think perhaps the most interesting is he was Roman Catholic, as I mentioned, and he connected with a gentleman in Charleston by the name of Pierce Purcell, who we believe may have been some relation to him, a cousin or some other a relationship that he would have known from Ireland. Together, they built the Catholic Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And then when he came to Washington, what do we now call Washington, would have been referred to as the federal city at the time, Roman Catholics worshipped in the carpenter shed on what is now Lafayette Park, as did the Presbyterians. And the Roman Catholics evolved to form what is now St. Patrick's Church, just a few blocks from the White House. And James Hoban actually built the first church building in the city of Washington, outside of Georgetown, but in the, the federal city itself. He built the very first church of any kind that was here, which is remarkable uh, to me. Uh, those Roman Catholics that worshipped in the carpenter's shed then migrated there to worship. And the Presbyterians who worshipped there, the Scottish stonemasons, uh, the National Presbyterian Church up on Nebraska Avenue can trace its roots back to those early worshipers in the park as well. So I, I think in, in answering your question, I think it would be those church facilities. He later went on to build other uh, Catholic churches here in Washington, but it was St. Patrick's, which is uh, I think most compelling. And today out in front of the church, which is a, a successor building to the one he built is a beautiful plaque uh, marking his, um, his, his historical connection with St. Patrick's church. That's an amazing story. Can you talk about just transitioning a little bit to, to your role at the Historical Association? Talk about your work as president of the White House Historical Association. Well, I'm very honored and fortunate to, to have this role. It brings together much of my background and things that I've done in my, my life. And every day I feel fortunate to come in and 
sit at this desk and work with my colleagues and work with uh, the White House staff and the, the First Lady, who is our primary point of contact. Um, it's um, an organization that has existed since 1961. You said in the opening that we are nonpartisan, which we are. We are nonprofit. We accept no federal funding whatsoever. But we were founded by Mrs. Kennedy. And remar- remember, she's only 31 years old when her husband is elected president of the United States. And she's first lady for less than three years. But at that young age and in such a short period of time, she put in place the protocols, the procedures, the processes that still govern historic preservation at the White House today. It's the, the process by which uh, conservation and preservation are funded through us. It's the process through which acquisitions are made up until the Kennedys, a new president could come into office and get rid of anything they wanted to. And uh, Mrs. Kennedy thought that the White House should have a collection like a great American museum. It now does. So we will seek out items that maybe were once in the White House and fund those to be returned to, returned to the White House, uh, which is which is very important. But such an extraordinary thing that she did uh, having served such a short period of time, we have another book that is just out uh, this summer called Designing Camelot, which tells the story of Mrs. Kennedy and those early years and those that she called on and relied on to make the house, the White House, which is the people's house, uh, represent the very best of America. And how has the role of the association changed over the past 60 years? Well, one thing that has remained consistent that I think is just extraordinary in the day that times that we live in now is that our role remains the same regardless of who the elected president happens to be. I've had the privilege of working with three presidents and first ladies, President and Mrs. Obama, President and Mrs. Trump, President and Dr. Biden, and we've worked with 12 throughout the history of the entire uh, association's history. And so I think it's remarkable that we've been able to maintain that very close collaborative relationship regardless of politics and, and policy. But it's also changed in that our mission has evolved over the years. I mentioned our publication business, which started in 1962. Mrs. Kennedy had been to the White House as a teenager visiting with her mother and was concerned that there was no guidebook like you get at a great American museum. So the first order of business for us was to publish a guidebook in 1962. And we've continued to publish that book. I believe we're in the 25th edition now. We publish four or five other books every year, such as the one we're talking about today on James Hoban. We also have a wonderful quarterly scholarly magazine, which is perhaps my favorite of our publications, which is just really rich it makes, uh, uh, I would really encourage everyone to subscribe to that. It also makes a wonderful gift. We supply it actually to the West Wing Lobby. It's the in-flight magazine, if you will, on Air Force One. We just send it to every member of Congress. Uh, it's a really a, a wonderful tool to, st- to share these stories about White House history. The next issue that's going to be out in September, uh, believe it or not, uh, Michael, as you know, it's been 20 years since uh, 9-11. And this is the yeah. story we tell in this issue of the magazine, the stories of the White House itself on 9-11 and the perspectives of several staff members and what happened and when they were evacuated and where they went and what they did and how they kept their jobs going or their roles going, even though they were outside the building. So it's going to be a really compelling issue. And again, you can subscribe to that. You can get the book, all of that through our website, whitehousehistory.org. That's, I know that no one who worked in that building has, has ever forgotten that day or, or what they 
what they did and what they experienced and the the real terror that you know that our democracy was under assault and the most visible symbol of our democracy was was the white house what other kind of recent projects has the association been working on and and what else can we expect for the the rest of 2021 well with each presidency we typically fund three to four perhaps even five um, major projects and some of them actually span presidencies. Uh, The best example for that recently is a project that we began with Mrs. Obama, which was the restoration of a suite of furniture brought into the White House in 1817 by James Monroe, right after uh, it was rebuilt from the British fire. He brings in a 53-piece suite of furniture that he had acquired in France. And by the time of uh, the presidency of James Buchanan in the 1850s, It's worn. Buchanan wants something new. So all but one of these pieces, 52 pieces are dispersed, sold, gotten rid of. We, uh, thanks to Mrs. Kennedy's leadership, we have now reacquired 10 of those original 53. We know where four others are, but we just can't go in and claim them. But the rest, Michael, sadly, have been lost to history. So what we've done, starting with Mrs. Obama, is a major restoration of those 10 pieces plus some reproduction pieces You will recognize this furniture is the extraordinary blue silk furniture that is in the blue room of the White House today that is heavily gilded Mm -hmm. in gold. We started with Mrs. Obama. We completed under Mrs. Trump an $800,000 restoration project of those original pieces and reproduction pieces that are in the blue room today. We brought over workers from the factory in Paris that originally made the furniture and still makes furniture. We took apart one of the chairs that belongs to the DAR, which is not in the White House collection, but they loaned us theirs, which was the closest to the original condition where we were able to take it apart and rebuild the others with the same horsehair structure and design and stitching structure uh, as was done originally. Uh, This was made by a French cabinet maker in Paris by the name of Belanger. We refer to it as the Belanger Suite. And if you go online to our website or the White House website, you can see this extraordinary suite of furniture in the Blue Room today, and it is just really spectacular. Another recent project that was undertaken uh, during the the latter uh, months of the Trump presidency was uh, recovering of furniture in the Red Room, as well as the reupholstering of the walls in the Red Room. Those Red Room walls are actually fabric. And on the Western Wall, which receives the most direct sunlight, that was extremely faded. And so we undertook a project to reupholster that room, but also the furniture in that uh, space as well. The Bidens are, are, are new into the White House and just getting settled in, and we'll be talking with them about uh, projects that they'll want to undertake. It's really wonderful to see each presidency have a different viewpoint, a different idea, something that they want to undertake, and it's our privilege to work with them according to their interest uh, on the House. Well, and I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention and ask about one other uh, kind of annual tradition. Uh, that is the the White House Christmas ornament that uh, you guys produce every year. What do you have on? T- it's it, I'm always excited to see what you do. There's always something new, something interesting uh, that ties people and draws them into uh, White House history. Do you know what's on, or can you say what's on tap for this year's Christmas ornament? Of course, we've uh, we have released that ornament, and I, I appreciate you bringing it up. And I kind of snickered when you did because you know I love the ornament, but it's a real challenge because we are perhaps most known for that Christmas ornament, but that's not our mission. It helps fund our mission, which we're very grateful for. Uh, But it is something that uh, when I I will often say I'm with the White House Historical Association and they'll say, people will say, oh, you're the 
ornament people. Well, yes, we are. <laughs> I often joke that uh, had I been in the room with Mrs. Reagan in 1981, when the ornament began and someone came in and presented that idea, I probably would have thought, well, sure, go ahead and make an ornament, you know, whatever. But thank goodness they did, Michael, because if they had not, if Mrs. Reagan had not blessed that project and it had not been initiated in 1981, here we are uh, 40 years later producing these annual ornaments. I don't know that the association would still exist today. It certainly would not have been as robust as it has been over the years. And we're so grateful to the following of people who acquire this ornament for themselves. They give it as gifts every year. I can testify. You probably can too. Once you start giving it to someone as a gift, you can't stop. They always want to receive it. It's an annual tradition. It is a tradition. And each year we do feature a different presidency. And again, uh, something we're grateful to Mrs. Reagan for is she began the tradition of featuring a president sequentially. So we began with Washington and then this year it's LBJ. We've paused four or five times along the way to commemorate a particular White House anniversary, like the year 2000, we did an ornament on the 200th anniversary of the White House. But this year is LBJ and it is beautiful. It's um, sort of a Tiffany blue round ornament. And in the center is a reproduction of a painting that Mrs. Johnson had commissioned of the Blue Room at a Christmas. On the reverse is a very poignant quote uh, by uh, uh, President Johnson. And of course, you know, he, uh, we try to do something that is uh, that, that um, uh, on both sides, if we can, that connects to that president. But this is a, a wonderful quote from President Johnson, and it reads, our mission is at once the oldest and the most basic of this country to right wrong, to do justice, to serve man. And it's uh, really just a a beautiful ornament. We also include with each ornament um, a small booklet that is written by our historians that tells the history of that presidency, uh, those four or eight years. And another remarkable thing about these uh, little collector's items is that since 1981, since since they began, They've been made by a veteran-founded small business in Rhode Island. They're all American-made, and the proceeds of these go directly to our work with the White House and our education mission of the books and the publications. We also have wonderful teachers' institutes where we train teachers on teaching American history through White House history, wonderful public programming where you can attend our events here at Decatur House on Historic Lafayette Park or watch them online keeps our social media going robust. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And every day we serve up a a nice dose of White House history for people to to enjoy. So we're very grateful to the uh, proceeds that do come uh, from these ornaments every year. Well, I think Eisenhower's helicopter is still my recent favorite. I'm (laughs) I'm looking forward to this one as well. And What's your favorite item in the White House collection? Do you have a, I know you're not supposed to, I know you're supposed to love them all equally, but is there any, <laughs> uh, anything that is your, your particular favorite? Well, that's like asking somebody what their, who their favorite child is. It's, uh, it's hard, to, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, I would just mention a variety of things that I think are special and may not be known uh, to your listeners. And that is, these are things that are attached to the mission and the work of the White House Historical Association. And that is we fund the acquisition of the presidential China when there is a service acquired. The most recently one was the Obama uh, service. We also fund the presidential and first lady portraits that are painted. And we uh, hope to, in the coming months to reveal the paintings of President and Mrs. Obama 
And we're working now with uh, President and Mrs. Uh, Trump on the selection of their artists and the uh, painting of their portraits, which these usually take four or five years uh, to do. But they're extraordinary elements of the of the White House collection. Of the historic elements, I think I'd really have to go with two. Uh, it's that that Belanger collection of furniture that I talk that I spoke about. Just because we've put so much work into that. I feel like I, we did birth that, rebirthed it in, in an important way. Mm-hmm. And then perhaps the most iconic element in the entire White House collection is the only item that is in the White House today that was in the White House in November of 1800 when John and Abigail Adams first moved into the White House. And that is that iconic portrait of George Washington by Gilbert Stewart that currently hangs in the East Room. So special. So just wonderful. Is, and you've mentioned a couple of things along the way, but uh, what's the best way for our listeners to get involved, to support the organization, to help to help your mission? Well, in addition to the ornament, we do have a variety of other White House-inspired gift items that you can find at our store in Washington, 1610 H Street, or on our website, whitehousehistory.org. We also benefit and are very grateful for the traditional philanthropy of gifts from individuals, corporations, foundations, which underwrite and support the projects that we've been talking about uh, today. And information on that uh, is available at whitehousehistory.org. You can also uh, find my page on our website. And uh, with my contact information, I'd be happy to receive an email from anyone and uh, respond directly or have my appropriate uh, colleagues uh, respond. There are other ways If you're a student, an author, uh, a journalist uh, interested in White House history, we have a treasure trove of information on our website on all aspects of White House history, including a digital library, which is funded by our good friends at Amazon Web Services, which is tens of thousands of images of the White House with metadata for each. Uh, If you are a student or a scholar uh, or using these works for non-commercial purposes. We provide them free to you. We also uh, license these images to movie studios and television studios. So Michael, for your next uh, big Hollywood blockbuster movie, if you'd like to license some White House photos, we'd be happy to handle that for you. Appreciate that. Folks, the the book is James Hoban, Designer and Builder of the White House. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Both is just a great read, but also a a lovely book. Uh, Stuart, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, really, really appreciate it and wish you all the best. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to be with you. And I really do appreciate uh, your service to our country in so many different ways and the contributions that uh, you make to uh, encouraging people to be interested in the government, in uh, public uh, policy, and in American history and White House history. And I look forward to uh, working with you on our Know that we're involved in some mutual projects together and appreciate your leadership in that as well and look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.